You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Today, our first guest is Michael Mortensen. He is counsel with K&L Gates. Michael's on the show to share some of the concepts of buying strategies used by strategic acquirers to secure a better deal. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this, you business owners and CEOs of middle market companies out there. I'd like to thank our advertisers, Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, sorry, Setup Group, and we support various Orange County nonprofits. To connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm Richard Rick Franzi. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, type in these four words, Critical Mass Radio Show, and then you'll get our weekly updates with Stream Live here on octalkradio.net. And finally, if you'd like to watch the behind-the-scenes video of the of the interviews... I'm waving the camera right now. You can see Michael sitting here. Go to my YouTube channel, Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And not only can you hear it, but you can see it. All right. Michael, I've met you a while ago, I think at an Executive Next, uh, no, at a Exit Planning Institute event, and you were a speaker, a panelist. That's right. That's right. And I was so interested in what you had to say, I just had to have you on the show. Finally, we were able to get our schedules correct, and you're here. But before we get into the substance of why I've asked you to be here, let's also talk a little bit about you. So can you tell our audience a little bit about your professional background that sort of predates K&L Gates? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rick, for having me. It's great to see you again. I went to college back east. I grew up in Southern California. California, went to college at the University of Virginia, and then after college, I worked for the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, then went to work for the Governor of Virginia, and I, I came to a crossroads where I was going to either run a political campaign out of Virginia yes. or come back to Beverly Hills and start a private equity company, and I chose the latter. I uh, came back to Beverly Hills, uh, started a private equity company. We were the only, we like to say this, we were the only private equity company in Beverly Hills that had no private equity. What we did have was some brains and some energy. <laughs> and uh, what we did was we found deals, and then we'd find the money, we'd bring them together, and we'd take a little piece of the sweat equity. So sure. I did that before law school, and then uh, did that for about four, about three years. Then I went to law school and uh, started practicing law thereafter. Okay. So I'm always um, fascinated when I interview an attorney because there are so many distinct disciplines of law that you can specialize in. Right. Tell me about your specialty and why you selected it. So I'm a commercial litigator, uh, a trial lawyer by training, but I'm also a, I also provide business strategic business advice to uh, to my clients, and I have a particular focus in my litigation practice on transactional litigation. That is litigation that arises out of the uh, mergers and acquisitions context. Mm-hmm. And which side of the aisle are you on? I, I've been on both sides. Okay. I've, I've represented both buyers and sellers in those deals. Uh-huh. Uh, in addition to the, the sort of that specific commercial litigation focus, I also have a broader uh, commercial litigation focus in that I've represented employers and employment um, discrimination, retaliation type suits as well, hmm. um, in addition to a whole bunch of other stuff. But my my focus, my niche focus, tends to be on those transactional litigation matters. So when I, uh, I said at the Exit Planning Institute, when you were one of the panelists mm-hmm. talking about um, exit strategies, yes. and that's what it's about, and selling your firm, um, you were there with a kind of unique perspective w- relative to the, the work that you do. And so um, I wanted to have you on the program because let, before we get to that, let's just say that the seller of a company rarely does it more than a couple times in their career. Right. Right. I mean, right. many times it's the only time. Sure. Right. It's their sure. pot of gold. And you oftentimes see a family business that's grown um, over a, a many number of years, 
and at some point they they sell the business. You see that quite often, right? And and that is wonderful because they're getting to reap the benefit, financial benefits and rewards for their years of hard work. You actually help me to really solidify my thinking in this area, and that is, but it's a disadvantage mm. uh, in a sense that they're not very experienced. That's right. Compared to an acquiring company, which maybe is in the business of buying companies and have deep experience. That's absolutely right. And, and also compared to a serial entrepreneur who might build a company, sell it, move on to the next one, build it, sell it, et cetera. That's in a very experienced buyer. But most of the time you have buyers just like you're describing. Okay. And so um, since the audience that listens to Critical Mass radio show tend to be CEOs of lower middle market companies, mm-hmm. 5 to $100 million, many of them are business owners, we're programming for them. Right. So uh, I wanted you on the show to sort of help them, like you helped me, reframe what they're thinking about as it relates to uh, when they sell their business. So um, let's start by saying, is it a level playing field in your experience when the uh, company is looking to sell their company and they're selling it to a, an experienced uh, acquirer? No. No, no, no. The acquirer who has experience uh, buying companies has far more advantages, both typically both financial but also experiential. So they have been through this. They know what to do. They know how to give the buyer what they want um, without actually giving the buyer what they want. Right? What do you mean? Well, the seller oftentimes overvalues their business or doesn't have a full and honest appreciation for their business, much like if you ask someone what their home was worth. They might say it's worth a million dollars. The market might might uh, value it at about eight hundred thousand. Um, you see that oftentimes with these sellers who overvalue their business, want to sell it. An acquirer might say, "Sure, we'll give you the million dollars for your business." And oftentimes, it's obviously many more, uh, many multiples of a million. And what they do is they structure the deal in a way where they know the strategic acquirer will know they're never going to pay that price. Okay. All right. So remember that, ladies and gentlemen, because. That is the axle around which we're going to come, uh, kind of come at it from from different tangents. Okay, so my my first sense is, in a negotiation, if you come in as a naive seller who thinks your company is worth some number that may be arbitrary, may be emotional, and you're not fact based, my sense is you're already at a disadvantage in negotiations. You are one hundred percent at a disadvantage. So so. For those of you that are listening today, either live here on octalkradio.net or as on iTunes or something else, I think the word to the wise would be do your basic research to figure out what your company, a range of what it might be worth, because different uh, acquirers will pay a different price, strategic, financial, whatever, but have an idea that's based in fact. That's right. Okay. And there are people out there that will help you to value your business. That, that is absolutely right. And the, the worst thing a seller can do is draw an analogy to some other business that operates in the same space, uh-huh. um, public or otherwise, and then try to adopt that valuation without having an honest assessment of that of its own company, uh, of his, his or her own company and what that company is. So I go, hey, Paul's business sold two years ago for $50 million. I ought to be worth 75 because Paul's, you know, his business isn't as good as mine. Precisely. And if you look at that home analogy I, I, I raised earlier, yes. it's, it's a perfect analogy, right? right? My neighbor two doors down sold for a million dollars. My house is worth <laughs> A million. Well, right. his house was two thousand more square foot and had a fabulous pool, and you know yours has remodeled astro- kitchen. Yeah, exactly, right. 
Exactly. That's exactly right. And you got a 70s house with linoleum. Yep. And so you really need to understand what you have. You re- the, the seller has to understand and has to appreciate what they have. And the only way they can really do that is by getting an objective analysis, yeah. whether it's through accountants, business valuation experts, attorneys, what have you. Right. So don't go into it without knowing what your business is valued at. Exactly. Okay, so if you're taking notes there in, uh, in our listening audience today, either live or, or as a podcast, I, I'm very serious about this because I think it's upsetting to me, frankly, that a family could work decades, generations to build value in a business, and they're not strategically prepared to maximize their own personal gain from the sale of that business since it was their equity and sweat that made that business work, right? That's exactly right. And I think some additional detail about my background w- would help Okay. in that um, my law firm, K&L Gates, we, we target your audience, right? That we represent... We're in large, a good way. We, yes, in a okay. good way. We, repre- you know, we have a huge presence, 2,000 lawyers over 38 countries, right? We're everywhere in the world. But our real market focus are entrepreneurs, the middle market, small business owners, and things. We can represent the large companies, but we do a lot of deals in that mid-market range. Mm-hmm. And so I've handled a lot of these deals, both as sort of a, a counseling side, but also on the litigation side, both buy side and sell side. And so what we're talking about right now, whether or not it's the strategic acquirer trying to take advantage of the naive buyer, I've been there and I've provided the advice and I've done the deal that has saved my client four, five, six, seven, ten million dollars, whatever it is, off of what they've promised to pay. And vice versa, right? I've helped the yeah. the, the seller uh, um, retain some of the value uh, in what he he or she thought they were. He's selling. choosing his words wisely, yeah. isn't he? Okay, <laughs> but I'm sure you're. I'll put words in your mouth, but I'm sure your heart is more on the side of the seller than the buyer. And I said that you don't have to agree or disagree, but for my audience, I'd like them to know that you have a. A good soul. Absolutely. And, and that's why I have you here because I think you can actually ed- provide a lot of value to the community by educating them on the realities. Uh, we only have about a minute left, and I'm talking with Michael Mortensen. He is a he, he is counsel at K&L Gates. Um, one of the areas that I find somewhat challenging is that the buyer will negotiate in a way that they know isn't a long-term obligation that they're making, but yet the seller thinks... I'm doing a once-time transaction that when it closes, the deal is closed. Everything's all wrapped up and and tight. Right. But you helped me to realize that's not even... Sometimes the acquirer has a negotiation strategy fully knowing that we're going to reopen that box. That's exactly right. That's exactly what they what the what the buyer will will tell you that they are going to pay for that company is oftentimes the majority of the times not what they will pay. The majority of the time. The majority of the time is not what they will pay. Account- we could talk about why. We're going to after the breaks. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen, because many business owners believe it is a transaction that is the most expedient way to uh, realize the financial value that they've created in their business by selling it. When in truth, it may be a protracted negotiation. Or worse, with the with the acquirer, if you're not careful in how you set up the deal, right? That's right. So it could linger a long time. Years. Okay. Got that? Don't go anywhere. We have just a few quick commercials, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to keep talking with Michael Mortensen, because this is information you need to know, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after these words from our sponsors. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Math for Business might be the answer for you. 
Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's myself, 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. A little hot on the intro. I know. I'm excited to get back. Sorry about that, Paul. Michael Mortensen is our guest. He's counsel at K&L Gates. And um, our shows can be heard live on octalkradio.net at 4 to 5 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. That's West Coast time. So do the adjustments if you're around the world on what that means for your time. Or you can hear us anytime on iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com. Several hundred former guest websites whose CEOs have been on our show, and then the companies place their interview on their website. You know, each month we reach an audience of over 10,000. Matter of fact, uh, in October it was a little over 15,000 of you that listened to the various interviews we did that month. If you'd like to subscribe to the radio show on your software, on your favorite iTunes, I mean, on your favorite podcasting software, type in Critical Mass Radio Show and subscribe to our show. Be one of the thousands that listen. All right, Michael, um, let, let's get into a little more of the psychology of a deal sure all right so define for my audience the what the words earn out mean sure an earn out is a way to defer some of the purchase price over uh, a number of years over a set period of time i should say and tie that to performance objectives so let me just give you a very quick example you sell you agree to sell your company to me for 10 million dollars right i'll pay you 1 million dollars now we'll do a 9 million dollar earn out tied to various metrics 
EBITDA, net revenue, top line revenue, right. whatever you want. Right, but when I'm at the cocktail party and people are saying, "So, Rick, I heard you sold your company," I'm going to say, "Yeah, I sold it for ten million. I'm going to say I sold it for a million, and I'm all I'm hoping to get the other nine. Right? That's I'm right. telling everybody I sold that bad boy for ten million. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And when I hear earnout, I hear litigation. Why? Almost every time I've I've seen so many deals devolve into litigation over the earnout. There are a variety of reasons. Number one. The, the earnout is poorly defined, whether or not it's the metrics to determine the earnout, how the earnout is achieved. There's debates and, and disputes over how you arrive at the accounting that dictates whether or not the earnout was made or, or not made. I've also seen litigation pre-earnout, pre-even getting to that to that metric, where uh, the seller uh, or the, rather the buyer tries to renegotiate the deal. So this is a particular area of focus then for the seller, the business owner, because. They have to be careful what they agree are the performance metrics because would it, would you say it's fair for me to say that sometimes a strategic acquirer may willingly go with earnouts that they know are suspect because it gives them the opportunity to rethink it later on? Absolutely. So in, in, the, in the context we described earlier where yeah. you have the Pollyannish seller right, yes. and the, very, uh, the sharky buyer, if you will, okay. you want to sell me your company for $30 million. I think it's worth 15 Okay. I say, absolutely, I'll buy it for $30 million. I'll give you $7 million now. And we'll do a $23 million earnout. Now, obviously, not every deal is structured like that, but it can be structured like that. And what happens is I will set the earnout um, in a way where I think you, you're not going to achieve it, whether or not it's, it's um, over a certain period of time, whether or not I think we're gonna, going to stop uh, selling one product line or one area of the business that's going to affect your ability to achieve these various earnouts. Right. So there's, there's, there's just a variety of ways that sellers can structure the deal and say, listen, you didn't hit your earnouts. Sorry, um, take your seven million and uh, hit yeah. the road. Yeah. So, so we agree in paper, in principle to sell. Well, at least I thought we agreed in principle to sell it for thirty million. You gave me seven million dollars cash, and then you take even though you didn't spend thirty million, you took you take control of the company. Right. Right. So you can make decisions independent of me uh, that may disadvantage my ability to hit the earnouts that we. And, and that's what the litigation that you see is. It's about how you define the earnout, how you account, uh, how you, you what accounting methods you use to arrive at the earnout. Um, what support you provided the business to achieve the earnout, if any? Uh, you see these you see these types of litigations all the time. So, from let, at a very high level, if you're the seller of a company, you want as much sort of like an athlete. You want as much in the signing bonus as you can get because, generally speaking, that's a little harder to get back, right? That is that is exactly right. When I when I hear earnout, I always think of football contracts to the okay. quarterbacks where you hear a $177 million contract over five years, $8 million is guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. the guy's cut next year. He blows his knee out. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, meanwhile, he bought a house and a boat. And- <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's Colin Kaepernick. He just got benched, right? I mean, it's, this is exactly what uh, the earnout does. And so buy, uh, sellers need to be very, very cautious of how they define the earnout and and be very um, objective with how you measure um, the performance metrics of the company or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. My recommendation when I'm representing the seller is to tie it to something very objective, for instance, top line revenue, right? Okay. Which, which you know what the sales are going to be right. versus EBITDA, which is going to be subject to, to write-offs and, and some other things. 
Right, because you no longer control how the EBITDA is calculated, right? right? Decisions, business decisions can be made that can be justified that disadvantage you, right? And whether intentionally or unintentionally. And then there's a, there's there's litigation over gap, uh, you know, uh, application. If you're doing this, the, the FSLA, all these things that you know the, the attorneys get into, and okay. they love to dig their heels into because it's expensive. So we're talking with Michael Mortensen. He's counsel at K and L Gates. Um, we're talking about a very important topic, which is selling your business and getting the maximum value you can for it, not just on paper, but in practice and reality too. So why would a strategic acquirer in some cases be incented to litigate? I mean, that just seems like that's a lot of work and hassle. Sure. sure. <clears throat> um, two, re- two main reasons. Number one, they tend to have the leverage and they know by litigating against the former seller, um, they could drive down after the fact the purchase price of, of the deal. Okay. Um, and so uh, you see that arise in, in various contexts, but, but most commonly you, f- you find some sort of um, improper disclosure by the seller. They might have sloppy books, and so they may have made a representation to them that turns out not to be true after they get their financials audited and it, things like that, or okay. they, they misrepresented the level of a, a sales contract or those types of things. And so what a savvy seller will do is they'll say, they'll go back to the, uh, excuse me, a savvy buyer will do is they'll go back to the seller and they'll say, listen, uh, you breached the purchase agreement because this rep and warranty was not true. You knew it wasn't true when it was made. So we're going to sue you for breach of contract. We're going to sue you for fraud. Uh, we're going to drive down the purchase price however much. And let's say, you know, it's... Uh, they paid $20 million for simple math, right? For, right. for the deal, $10 million up front, $10 million in the earnout. So they'll say, you know, this is a $3 million uh, discount on what we've already paid you. Now you still have to hit that earnout. So now both sides are embroiled in litigation, and the incentive on the seller side is to settle ordinarily because usually they're, they're cooked, right? Usually that disclosure was untrue. They just didn't know it at the time. Right. So it's not fraud, but it is a breach of the rep of warranty. Right. So it gives, this, it gives the, the buyer all sorts of leverage. Are we talking about boundary conditions or are we talking about, uh, are the, in your experience watching these transactions happen for middle market companies, are we making a mountain out of a molehill or are we giving the business owners that are listening to this radio show the reality of what can happen to them? Not only is this the reality of what can happen, this is the reality of what happens every day. You know, I see it in my practice all the time. You will, you, there's, there's, I have zero doubt in my mind that if one of your listeners sells their business to a strategic acquirer or a financial acquirer, right, down the road, if it's a, if it's a significant enough deal, down the road, a few months, eight months down the road, they're going to get a letter that says this rep and warranty is not true. Wow. And that's the first signal that we're going about we're about to renegotiate the deal. So that's another area that pe- that the seller needs to really be paying attention to are the reps and the warranties that they're making. Absolutely, and warranties. And it goes back to our first point, Rick, where we said that the buyer needs to go into this with his eyes wide open. It's like going back to the home analogy: have your own home inspection done so you know what the house, you know, what needs to be fixed, what doesn't need to be fixed, what needs to be disclosed to the buyer. That way. Nothing will surprise the buyer down the road, right? right? All your reps and warranties are true when made. Okay. So earlier example, I sold it to you for a thirty million. I get ten. We fight over the twenty because I'm not there anymore. What about in the situation where you retain me and part of the earnout is um, my performance in the capacity that I was at when I owned a business? I'm still going to be president. I'm still going to run my company. 
Right, right. That, right? You, you see that. You don't, you don't see it so much in, in, in the earnout context, but in the total valuation of the deal, right? Okay. So it's like a $10 million purchase price. We're going to give you a $2.5 million contract. That's five hundred grand over five years. You're going to stay on board as the president. Yes, I am. You're now going to report, incidentally, to the CEO or to whomever. That's okay. Which yeah. I know my business, and you guys will leave me alone, right? Right, and the rest is your now. And then you also see, con- you see a lot of litigation in that context. Number one, entrepreneurs don't really like to report to, to, to someone else. Yeah, especially when they've been running their business. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, yeah now some, work for me. Right, now someone else is coming in telling you how to run the business that you've started and you've made a success over 25 years, right? Right. Um, number two. So you could fire me. Well, you could, usually there's a contract. Okay. And, and there's, there's clauses for termination for cause. Right? Okay. So what you are, you ordinarily see is, is the seller who's now the executive that's reporting to someone else. They start to, to, uh, throw up their arms and say, you're not letting me do my job. You've changed the conditions of my employment contract. And they're the ones that oh. typically initiate litigation in that context. Oh my gosh. Saying it's a breach of the employment contract. But again, that gives the, the, the buyer some additional leverage in that litigation. And now they're saying, okay, well, hold on. Will you breach this rep and warranty on the, on, on the deal? Or um, you're not going to hit your earn out. We need to renegotiate the deal. So all of these things open the door to renegotiation. It's very peculiar, but wow. you see it all the time. So I believe in the power of peer learning. You know, some, I think experience is the best teacher, but in business, some business lessons are best learned vicariously through the examples of others. And this is clearly the case. So I'm going to say to anyone listening today or anytime in the future on this podcast, if you're thinking about selling your business, you need to find someone like Michael who has experienced both sides of this to sort of have a sobering conversation about, I think, what might be the all too frequent reality of selling your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if there's there's one theme, Rick, it's that you have to go into the sale process with your eyes wide open. You have to have an honest assessment of your business, understand what's underneath the hood, and only then can you really value the company and enter enter into a deal that's very, very strong. Really, and I think, uh, wrapping it up, take nothing for granted. Even the money that you get paid up front might be clawed back at at some time. So, I mean, there's sort of... uh, Trust but verify. I mean, it, it, in the long run, you're opening yourself up for uh, uh, someone disputing the money that you either got paid or you're going to be paid. And you may have to get back into what I think would be a very dis- – you're on the beach in Hawaii thinking life is great, and all of a sudden you get a letter in the mail going, holy cow, right? Yeah, and you go back exactly to the mainland. Right. It happens every day. Oh. It happens every day. So if someone would like to learn more about you and Kale Gates, how do they do that? How do they find you online? Yeah, please, um, uh, www.klgates.com. Uh, you could search for Michael Mortensen uh, on our website. How do you spell your last name? Michael? M-O-R-T-E-N-S-O-N. And uh, you can always email me at michael.mortensen at klgates.com. Right. And I have to tell you, I, um, you very candidly covered most of this at the Exit Planning Institute. You gave away this content uh, for free to help people because I thought you, you were sp- you were speaking the truth. And I said, I need that truth speaker on Critical Mass Radio <laughs> Show. So I uh, heartily endorse what you're doing in the marketplace and feel that you've got a base of experience that my community can definitely benefit from. So thank you for being a friend of the community and, and part of the show today. Rick, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, take these words to the wise. Don't say you're not forewarned, right? So I would say uh, take a look at their website and and see what you can learn. Our second guest is Greg Leroy. He's with Good Jobs First. We're going to be talking about when the average of only 2% of the state's employers have more than 100 employees. Why are they companies with more than 100 employees receiving 80 to 90% of the incentive dollars from state 
economic development programs that were targeted for small business. So this is quite the feisty day that we have here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. Greg's going to be on the show right after these words from our sponsors. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me, and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months, or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's my cell, 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. Let's face it, not all company challenges are the same, which is why strategic market intelligence can help identify the actionable information you need to be more competitive. Gain a better understanding of your brand, competition, best prospects, or new product opportunities to generate greater revenues in 2015. Call 949-357-9547 or visit www.strategicmarketintelligence.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show. 
focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.